Good morning, Highland Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you'll want to turn to Philippians chapter 2. Today, you and I are going to talk about putting on the mind of Christ. Let's ask God to guide our time. Father God, you are good to us. And it is good to gather together with believers all across living rooms and family rooms. Father, knit our hearts together, knit our hearts towards you. May you take your inspired and errant word and apply it to our lives. May we honor you and bring glory to you. Guide our time this morning, we ask, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Again, today we are going to talk about putting on the mind of Christ. I want to start by telling us about Irina Sendler. I'm thinking that Irina Sendler is not a household name. She lived in 98. She died in 2008. She is a Christ follower. She is a Polish citizen, and she lived in a very difficult time in the early 1940s when Nazi Germany invaded Warsaw, Poland, her home. She was part of the medical community. If you remember what happened in Warsaw, 400,000 Jewish Poles were gathered together. They were put in the Warsaw Ghetto, a three and a half square mile area fenced in with barbed wire. 400,000 Jews packed together and they weren't given much food, medicine, or clothing. And every day, Irina, a Christ follower, would enter into Warsaw. She would smuggle in food and she would smuggle in medicine and clothing for these Jewish people. She loved them. But a time came when she realized she needed to do more than smuggle in food. They started with 400,000 and by 1943, 200,000 had been sent to Treblanka where they had been gassed. 5,000 Polish Jews were dying every month from starvation and from disease that was rampant in the ghetto. And so Irina, in addition to smuggling in food and medicine and clothing, she thought, I need to smuggle the children out. And so she began to smuggle children out. 2,500 Jewish children smuggled out underneath blankets, in caskets, in gunny sacks. Even a plumber took out a baby in his toolbox. There was a Warsaw ghetto church that was right on the fence and it had a secret hidden door outside the fence. And so Jewish children would enter a Christian church they would enter as Jews and they would exit out the other side as Christ followers. And you can imagine what Irina would do. This Christ following woman would go to Jewish parents and she'd say, you need to give me your children. I need to sneak your children out. And you can imagine the agony of parents giving up their children to a Christ follower. And you can imagine the question they all ask. If we give you our child, will you guarantee that our child will live? Well, Irina couldn't do that. But she guaranteed that they would die if they remained. 
And so one by one, she snuck children out. But that was only part of the battle. She then needed documentation, making these Jewish kids Christ followers, Christians, at least in name. And then she had to find homes for them. The difficulty of that is huge. If you harbored a Jew and you were caught, you and your entire family could end up in a death camp. So she's smuggling kids out, she's getting new documentation, and she's finding homes for them. In October of 1943, she was arrested by the Gestapo, having already saved 2,500 children. She was taken to the Piawak prison in Warsaw. She was tortured. They demanded to know the names of the kids, the names of the families, and who had helped with false documentation, and she wouldn't give it to them. They broke her legs. They broke her ankles. She would be crippled the rest of her life, but she didn't give up a single name. Finally, they condemned her to death, and on the day of the execution, some people bribed the Gestapo to stay the execution a few days, and she was then snuck out of prison. She escaped, and she had to stay in hiding really until after the war. Even her own mother died. She couldn't go to her own mother's funeral because the Gestapo were waiting to arrest her. At the conclusion of the war, she began to dig up jars. She had buried jars with the names of every child and the names of every family that had taken these 2,500 children. She had promised the original parents she would try and repatriate them with their kids. You can imagine the pain in her life when she learned that, that almost all of the 2,500 kids were orphaned, that their immediate families and extended families had died among the six million who had been destroyed, murdered in the Holocaust. Well, that might have been the end of the story, except her picture and her story and her code name, Jalanta, that's the only name these kids knew. It was published first in Auschwitz, the death camp in Poland, and then in Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. And many of these children, now adults, saw the picture, saw the name Jolanta, saw the story and recognized the woman who had saved their lives. And so the story began to unfold that she had really saved the lives of 2,500 kids. And Yad Vashem, a place and a name, the Holocaust Museum, designated her one of the 27,000 Gentiles who harbored Jews during the war as righteous among the nations. And as is true in Yad Vashem, there's a tree planted for all 27,000 Gentiles. Hers is in a most prominent place as you enter the museum. Near her death, she was asked about the story because she never told people what she had done. She didn't act like a hero. She had humility. She had the mind of Christ, but she was asked about it. And she said her greatest regret, her true regret, is that she hadn't saved more children. That, my friends, is the mind of Christ. 
I want to pick up in our text, and I want to read from Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 5 to 11. Have this mind among yourselves, Jeff, which is yours in Christ Jesus, Jeff, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. That means he veiled his divine attributes. He didn't access them all the time during the time when he was fully God and fully man, which by the way, he still is today. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, the morphe of a servant. We'll talk about that. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. That's the second time we see that word. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. The humility of Christ, it is mind-boggling. This text has deep theology. We'll talk a little bit about it but I don't want to move too fast past the humility of Christ. The text says, Jeff, have the mind of Christ, have the humility of Christ, act like Christ and think of Christ. He is God. He was God. He is God. He always will be God. There has never been a point. There has never been a moment. There has never been an instant that Jesus isn't fully God. He ontologically, I know a big word, it means the essence of his being, has always been God. Theologically, we say that Jesus is homoousios, of the same substance as the Father and of the Spirit. There is no difference, there has never been any difference of the essence of their being. Jesus is God. He has within his grasp the right to demand equality with the Father, but he does not do so. He subjects himself, he submits himself to the Father. And I know that word submission, it's, it's like a four-letter word in today's society. Nobody wants to hear about submission. It's an ugly word in our society but whatever you, I, we do with the word submission, know this, it's a Trinitarian word. In 1 Corinthians 15, 28, Jesus submits himself to the Father. So however you use the word submission, you have to use it in such a way that it rightly, accurately reflects the relationship of God the Father to God the Son to God the Holy Spirit. Submission is first and foremost a Trinitarian word. It was a Trinitarian word before any human was made. And Jesus, who has the right to seize equality with the Father, it's in his grasp, it's in his right, it's in his ontological, the essence of his nature being. He has that right. He does not. And the text tells me, Jeff, have the mind of Christ. Have the humility of Christ. Have the grace of Christ. Don't demand my rights. Don't demand my preferences. Don't demand my politics. 
Don't demand what I want to happen. Have the mind of Christ. In fact, the text will go on to say, or it actually says just before it, that I ought to think of others as more significant of myself. You say, where is that? It's in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, the verses that just precede it. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Let each one of you look out for his own interests, or not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And I've got to ask myself, what exactly does that look like in today's COVID-19 world? What does it look like to have the mind of Christ? What does it look like to have the humility of Christ? What does it look like to have the grace of Christ? What does it look like to consider the interests of others as more important than the interests of Jeff? Now, Highland is a church with about a thousand families. I can tell you we don't all agree on COVID-19. There are some very sincerely that believe that the government has overstepped its rights, trampled on our liberties, denied our First Amendment rights, have cost people their jobs, their livelihoods, that families are suffering, people are suffering because of Big Brother, and it's been an overreach from the very beginning. And some of you have just said amen, either out loud or in your hearts. And there are others who are very concerned about the virus. You're not lazy, but you are concerned that the safer at home has been at least temporarily lifted by the Wisconsin Supreme Court. You see the deaths, not as numbers, but as real people. And maybe you even know somebody who has COVID-19 or has died from COVID-19. And you don't see it as an overreach or a trampling of your rights but you see it as wise legislation that has been lifted. And a few of you have said, either out loud or in your hearts, amen. And how do we balance the two? How do we have the mind of Christ? How do we consider the interests of others as more important than ourselves? How do we do this and honor God first, God's word first, and others second, because we love God preeminently and we love others secondarily. Well, you, you need to realize, I need to realize that this is a complex issue. Uh, these pat answers, we're citing one text and ignoring another, it's cheap. It's not helpful. It's not fair or honest. So those who believe that this is a libertarian issue, a liberty issue, a First Amendment issue. You might look at Daniel. And here we have Daniel who has been told by the Medo persian emperor that for the next 30 days he cannot preach, or excuse me, cannot pray to anyone except the king. And yet three times a day, in civil disobedience, he gets on his knees and he prays to God because his Christian conscience or his Old Testament looking forward to the Christ conscience has been seared and he honors the Lord. 
Or you think of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. And they have been told that when the music plays, they are to hit pay dirt, they are to get on their knees, and they are to worship a statue, an image of a Babylonian monarch, and, and that sears their conscience, and they won't do it. Or you think of Acts 4 and 5, where the apostles are told not to proclaim the gospel to others. And they respond, judge for yourselves if it is right to obey man rather than God. And so there are valid texts, serious texts, for those who have a First Amendment understanding of the last eight weeks. But the same is true for the other side. For those who believe that the government has the right to a safer at home, you might cite Romans chapter 13, 1 to 5. You might read these verses. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant, hard to swallow for some of us, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoing. Therefore, what must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. And you say to yourself, well, I don't know about that. Uh, the text says that he does what is good for me, verse 4, but he hasn't done what is good, so I don't need to obey. And we need to be careful. There are legitimate arguments on both sides. Don't dismiss the text. This is the inspired and errant word of God. We need to be careful. Remember when this is written, AD 57 or 58, by Paul to the Christians in Rome and the dictator, the emperor, is Nero, a butcher of a man. And so Paul is writing to people who are under a dictatorship, a tyranny of the highest order. And he still says, obey the government. And then I have my opening illustration, right? Arena Sendler, who civilly disobeys in order to protect human life. And so this becomes the issue, my brothers and sisters in the Lord. We have to decide, has the law crossed biblical lines, not politics lines, not preference lines, not priority lines, has it crossed biblical lines that sears our Christian conscience? If so, the Bible says, disobey. If not, the Bible says, obey. And this is not simple. This is not, oh, I know the answer for everyone. It's not that way. And it may be different for a church of a thousand families than it is for a small business or a group that's gathering together for worship. 
it might really be different. And God might actually lead our consciences in different directions. You say, that, that doesn't make sense. Well, that's a Romans 14 principle, actually. That he might actually lead our consciences in different ways. So how do we put on the mind of Christ? How do we consider the interests of others as more important than ourselves? Well, it's going to be different for each of us. But I know one thing that we do. We honor one another. We honor one another. One of the reasons Highland has decided to follow the guidelines given is because for an organization of a thousand families, we're very visible and we want to continue our witness to our community. And we don't want to tarnish the possibility and the potential of reaching people for the Lord. We also see, and this is surprising, but it is factual, that more people in our country are tuning in to gospel preaching messages than any time in recent memory. I was with a group of guys recently. We were 10 or under, and we were doing business. No need to call the authorities on me. And more than half of us had relatives that had not previously been listening to our messages, and number had relatives that didn't have regular access to Bible teaching churches, but they were listening and they were learning and they were worshiping God. You see, ministry is not a building. Church is not a building. It's, it's us going forward. Do I want to get back to gathering together? Oh, you can't imagine. And that probably leads me to what is Highland going to do? Because now the Safer at home order has been lifted. So what are we going to do? Well, again, we want to weigh the different concerns of our congregation. Our first service, because we're going to do this in concert with a number of other churches in our community. Our first will be May 31st. It'll give us enough time to do it well. Our first together service. You can gather in small groups prior to that. But May 31st, we're going to have one service. It'll be the only week like it. 9 a.m. at Willow Springs. It'll be our graduation service. Uh, other churches are going to pick that day. Some might choose different days, but I think there might be some consensus growing among the churches in our area that that's the right day for us. If another church opens earlier or later, praise the Lord, we're going to give them grace. We're also going to live stream. We're going to continue to do that week in and week out. So if you don't feel comfortable gathering corporately, you stay home. If you have a precondition and you need to stay, stay home, we're going to continue to live stream. We're going to do the services as long as we can outside the summer so that people can spread out. You say, well, I don't need to spread out. Well, okay. But remember, we want the mind of Christ. We want to consider others as more important than ourselves. It's not just about us. It's also about others. So the second week, June 7th, we'll begin regular services in Merrill at 1030, Willow Springs at 9, and Weston at 1030. 
that's going to be our pattern so that I can preach at nine in Willow Springs and then I either go to Merrill or Weston and we're going to do outside services. And you say, well, what happens when it pours? Well, until we feel comfortable and it is safe to go inside, if it pours, you can gather in small groups or you can watch the live stream that we're going to put out. And eventually our goal is to be safe enough to consider the needs of others above our own, to be safe enough to get back into our building. What I trust is not going to happen. I believe you're too mature to allow this to happen. As if you're on the First Amendment liberty side that you will mock somebody who says this is scary. And I pray that if you're on the side that says this is scary, you're not going to mock those who say, we don't have many cases and this is not that big a deal here in central Wisconsin. I pray that we will have the mind of Christ. I pray that when we get together, we will consider the interests and the needs of others above our own. And we will not belittle or mock one another. We're doing it outside because we have wonderful weather and you can get as far away from people as you want and we can sing freely without so many germs being passed because of the open air and that's been recommended to us by some medical personnel. And we're waiting a couple weeks again because other churches were trying to do this with them in concert and we want to do this well. You might say, well, I don't agree with that. I understand. I'm sympathetic. But I'm trying to the best of my ability, and I know you're trying to the best of your ability to put on the mind of Christ or to live out Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And if you gather together with others prior to May 31st, you have that legal right. You're free. We would never, ever suggest you can't do that. But corporately, this is going to be our plan. I think this lives out what I see in Christ. Look at the humility of Christ, verses six to eight. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That word form, it occurs three times in the text, is morphe. There's actually two Greek words, morphe and schema. They're both translated by the word form, but they mean very different things. This is the word morphe. This is the word, by the way, that drives us or should drive us to be very pro-life because it talks about the essence of being. When a sperm penetrates an egg, the essence of being, the genetic code is set. The DNA code, when it goes from one cell to two and two to four and four to eight, the genetic code is set and will remain set for one's entire life. 
because the essence of being the ontology of that being is complete. All it needs is nutrition and protection. That's what the word morphe is. Jesus is in the form. It doesn't mean he's kind of like God. He's kind of in the image of God. There's, there's some family resemblance there. That's not what the word means. It means the essence of his being, the ontology of Jesus is fully God. If anyone has the right to claim equality with the Father, it's Jesus. But he doesn't. He models humility. He subjects himself. He submits himself not only to the Father, but to the cross because he sees you and he sees you and he sees me. And this is the model. Jeff, have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. This is how I ought to act. In fact, verse 7 says he emptied himself. What does that mean? It's one of those questions we always ask at a licensing or ordination council. It's actually a make or break question. To empty himself does not mean that he becomes less God. To empty himself does not mean that he gives up his divine attributes. To empty himself means he veils his divine attributes. He doesn't utilize them most of the time while he was on earth in human flesh. He did that for you and he did it out of subjection, out of submission to the Father, out of obedience to God. And that kind of grace, that kind of humility, that kind of thinking of others as more important than ourselves is a model and it says, Jeff, have this mind among yourself. This is how I ought to live. It's not about my preferences. It's not about my priorities. It's not about my politics. I don't have to give those up. I can fight for them, but I have to show grace to others. And I have to consider others as more important than myself. And how does the father respond to the son? Verses 9 to 11. Therefore, the Greek word dio. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee will bow on heaven and on earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That he is kurios, that he is master, that he is Lord to the glory of God the father. That word, verse 9, dio, therefore, is so important. It means because of, as a result of, because Jesus submits himself, because Jesus shows grace, because Jesus loves others, and he cares for others, and doesn't demand his rights, doesn't demand his preferences, doesn't demand his politics, doesn't demand his priorities, but cares for others and considers others above himself. God will exalt him. And you know what? He'll do the same for you and me. Luke 14, 11, 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. You long to be exalted someday in heaven? You humble yourself on earth. You don't demand. You don't belittle. You don't mock. You stand on your beliefs. You find them in Scripture. But where there are verses that can be seen clearly, sincerely in two directions, you, I, we show grace. One of my favorite uh, missionary stories is about a man named Henry Morrison. He and his wife had served in Africa for 40 years. They were now coming home. It was 1910. They happened to be on the same ship as Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy had served as president from 1901 to 1909. And then after serving in the White House, he went overseas. He was part of a hunt a safari, and he happened to be going back home and they were on the same ship. And Henry said to his wife, honey, can you imagine the celebration when we get back to New York? People for the president, people for us. We're going home, honey. What a celebration it will be when we get home. And the ship pulled up into New York City and there were throngs there and people were cheering. And after a while, Henry realized nobody had come for him. Nobody had come for his wife. Every person there was cheering on the president. And with growing bitterness in his heart, he cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, we served you faithfully for 40 years. And when we come home, nobody greets us. When we come home, nobody cares. And God gently spoke to his heart. And he said, Henry, you're not home yet. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, we're not home yet. We're not home. But we have marching orders until we get home. And the marching orders are to put on the mind of Christ. The marching orders are to be humble, not arrogant. The marching orders are to extend grace rather than be cruel. The marching orders are to consider the needs of others even above our own even in a COVID-19 situation. Friends, this week you got a letter from me. The day you got it, it was already out of date. And now you've got an update that we're going to open up on May 31st. That's what I know we're going to do today. I don't know what legislation will come down between now and then. I'm pivoting. My staff is amazing. We are pivoting to the best of our ability. Show us grace as we pivot. And let's show grace to one another as we have a large faith community and we have a larger unbelieving or unchurched community that is watching what Christ looks like, what the mind of Christ is all about. Let's pray. Father God, I fall so short. I so need the mind of Christ. I know so need the humility of Christ. I so need to think of others as more important than myself. Help me to grow in this area. And thank you for my brothers and sisters that are 
so much further down the road in these areas than I am. May I imitate them as they imitate Christ. And may all of us take the next step in these areas for your glory and for the benefit of this community. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.